Are you shipping smarter? Well, get ready to learn all about what you need to know to ship smarter. And that is with Hannah and Jory from Intelligent Audit. And that's on episode 28. So go and check it out. That's letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 28. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. For everyone, the future is uncertain and it seems that it is more now than ever with so many changes happening in trade and around the world. But before we dive into that, here is our listener's corner. So this question came from Steve on Instagram and he asks, with the market saturation of P2P, which is procure to pay platforms, is there a reason why LOC's letter of credit still exist. Well, we had a great conversation on Instagram uh, going and I'll give you a few snippets. There will also be more um, answers on the website at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listener dash corner. The logic guy says the challenge for blockchain is shippers reliance on using freight forwarders as banks to finance their transactions, getting money from customers immediately and run 45 plus day terms with your freight forwarder. Hashtag sad, but true. Someone will always extend credit. Unfortunately, the supply chain queen weighed in. It can be hard to validate creditworthiness of new vendors in emerging and foreign markets. Blockchain is great in financing environments because stability and worthiness can be derived from transactional history in blockchain. We also had Alexander Maliket. He was on season one. Go and check out his episode about international trade finance. And I am not going to read everything that he says, but it will be up on the website. He says documentary letters of credit still support about 10% of global merchandise trade flows annually and do so based on a long history of common global practice, widely accepted guided rules, and proven risk mitigation, financing, and settlement options. They can be cumbersome and paper process intensive, but have proven robust in some of the most challenging markets. Procure-to-pay solutions typically target trade that takes place on open account terms or finance on the basis of invoice discounting, which can be a good alternative, but may not readily include risk mitigation options that enable doing business in higher risk markets or with new trading partners. And then lastly, Eric Johnson, he was just on the show episode 24, 25 season two. He says, banks are pretty solid at inserting themselves into situations in which they otherwise wouldn't need to be involved. That'd be my guess. So go on to Twitter. There's a conversation there that's uh, at Let's Talk S Chain. And then again on Instagram under the posting with this question that's at Let's Talk Supply Chain. So back to the future. How do you plan for the future, especially as a service provider? You know, people are looking for more work-life balance, but some of the industry just can't get their head around remote teams. And what about the new generations? They seem more concerned with making a difference than making money. 
Well, our resident industry expert is back and Graham Robbins, founder of Border Buddy, is talking to me about how they are looking to the future, how they create that work-life balance and why remote teams don't have to be a disaster. So welcome back, Graham. I know you just had your year end and finalized your strategic planning. So let's talk about the future from your standpoint. I mean, young people are coming into the industry looking at supply chain from different perspectives, and that includes the e-commerce generation. With their expectations, they're increasing the immediacy that everyone is used to from that Amazon standpoint and what they have been able to create in the industry. So what are your thoughts? We do keep using Amazon as a standard. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of this behemoth. But really, once you, once you have experienced that way of doing business, being able to you know, buy something with a push of a, uh, a button or a push of an icon on your phone... The world kind of changes. The, cu- the customer expectations go way up. You know, okay, well, I do everything over here, whether it's you know Amazon or Apple or Google or whatever it is. They're expecting that from from every company. So uh, we want to be able to you know make sure we double down on that and keep heading in that direction. Absolutely. Okay. So how do you do your strategic planning and what do you include? I think that this is important for service providers across the industry you know, maybe even not just service providers, maybe, you know, companies in general looking to do that strategic planning. So let's, let's get into, you know, what you guys do and what you look at and what you include. Okay. So we've definitely, you know, we've been at this for quite a while, but we, we've definitely gone through different iterations of this, but we've been locked in for the last sort of three to four years on, on a common strategic planning process. And, and we use, you know, overall, we use this five-year target, sort of what do we, what could we really get to in five years? And then we look at a three-year picture. So what, you know, what could we achieve in the next 36 months? What would that look like? And then we break that down to a one-year plan, and then we do quarterly rocks. So we actually, our company really lives in what is called this 90-day world where we set our quarterly goals to achieve that one-year plan. So those those rocks that we do every quarter, those 90-day things that we really need to get done, push towards that yearly plan. And then we reset every 90 days as we march towards that, that one-year plan. So it's, it's actually a really energizing process because you know that, you know, imagine having a 10-year plan. There, there, there's really no such thing. So we, we live in this 90-day world where we, we really set these key things and priorities that we need to get done. And then uh, we reset because the world changes, you know, and we also your 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 attention span even changes about uh, staying locked on to something for super long. So this 90 day, um, you know, plan is really something that's energized the whole company and we have everyone in the company doing this. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to note as well, is that you can do some long-term planning. You know, you can look out three years, you can look out five years to where you want to be, who you want to be, because that's not only important to your strategic planning, but it's also important to your marketing strategies as well. So I think uh, because that, that translate it, that translates into your messaging. But I think with, you know, technology and, and things changing, like you said, so quickly, I had, I did an interview with, um, 
uh, Scott from Sweetbridge um, back on one of the episodes before this. And if you haven't listened to it, you're going to want to take, you're going to want to listen to it because he's saying that everything is changing within, um, I think it's a year and a half right now. Like, you know, everything's evolving and changing so, so quickly that it's really important to have those 90 days, you know, short term, you know, let's take a look at where we are. Are we, you know, within our timelines? Are we doing what we want to do? Is it working? And if it's not working, let's pivot so that we can, you know, stick within that, you know, year, year and a half timeframe of everything sort of changing. Yeah, I, I agree because, you know, I've, I've seen companies or talked to friends or uh, colleagues that, you know, they have a, a one year plan and then they, you know, they check in it, check in on it once a year. But as you say, you know, things are changing so quickly that we will have we'll have rocks that we set for 90 days. And sort of by the end of that quarter, we've we've realized that we've got some traction or momentum on that. So we want to double down on that for the next quarter to figure out, OK, how do we. How do we do more of that thing, whatever that might be, uh, to to get more traction? And it's it's really fun because when you have you know 100 people, they each have you know they could have one to three rocks every quarter. You're getting you know 300 big things done, and it just creates this energy and momentum throughout the company. That's that's really fun. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's what your internal teams as well as your customers should be looking for in a service provider. Because I really truly believe that if you're not taking a look at it on a regular basis and making sure that you're up to date and that you've got your pulse on, you know, new technology, new trends, all, you know, those types of things that are truly, truly important to not only your business, but also your customer's business because it's going to affect what they do. Yeah, um, yeah I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you're, you're out there and you're a service provider, it's definitely something to take a look at. So let's sort of talk about your goals. What if, what's come out of your strategic planning? What are your goals for 2019? Well, it's kind of top secret, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, I can say that they align to some of our, some things that we've discussed on previous shows, you know, it really revolves around talent right now. It's, it's one of our goals is, you know, we've got to continue to hire the best and brightest people. Uh, so we're really focused on recruiting. So a lot of our goals are actually around recruiting and how to, how to be, you know, an employer of choice, um, you know, how, how to, how to make it a great engaged, uh, workplace, uh, because it's such a tough market right now for talent, um, that we need to be, you need to be different. You can't just post a job ad like you used to be able to. Uh, and then we continue to some of our, our strategies and goals are around, you know, just basically removing that friction. You know, we, we keep beating that Amazon drum, but just removing the friction from, cross-border trade, you know, we want our customers to really be concentrating on what they want to do, you know, making or selling their products and, and leave the cross-border stuff up to us because, you know, they, I think about it a lot from their shoes. So I, I put myself in their shoes. You know, we have a lot of suppliers as well and I don't want to be, you know, emailing or phoning our copier supplier or our, uh, you know, our IT supplier. I just want it to work really well. I don't want to actually talk to them if possible. I just want to work really well, 
uh, and we concentrate on our business. And that's what we want to really focus on this year is making sure we reduce that friction. So why is the customer calling us? Why is the customer emailing us? Is it because we're not giving them the information that they need or want beforehand? And, uh, and really just remove that friction. Yeah, that's really, really important. And um, it's, it's interesting that you talk about that because our, our customer base as service providers in supply chain is changing um, because we do now have a lot of customers that are selling on eBay. They're selling on Amazon and they have different perspectives. They have different needs and wants. Um, and, you know, even it opens up new opportunity as well. Yes. And, and one of the things we really think about is, you know, in, in our business, you know, service business, you think a lot about the relationships, the touch and, you know, getting to know your customers. And and we, we constantly question that. And, and again, keep using Amazon as an example. You know, I've been an Amazon customer for 20 years. I, I think I've talked to a person there once, but I love them and I'm extremely happy with them. So, you know, if we just work on creating our service offering uh, so beautiful and delightful that they don't have to talk to us if they don't want to. We're happy to talk to them, of course, but they just want to, our customers really just want to do their business and grow their business, not manage us. So can, how can we continually think about disappearing from our customer's radar so that it's just works so smoothly, it's efficient, it's you know, ideally inexpensive, and they can just continue on and grow their business. Absolutely. I think that's great. Now, let's go back to talent. Um, it's a big conversation right now. It's a big, you know, topic of conversation. And I think that there's a few ways of, of looking at this. So what are your thoughts on the talent shortage? Yeah. And, and you know, you've been in, around the industry for a while as well. And, you know, I remember I've been here for a long time, 27 years now, and I remember sort of the olden days. I was thinking about this, you know, the olden days where you would sort of, you know, post a job ad, you get hundreds of applications and you had your pick. You know, it was just a, it was it was a employer's market, basically. And, you know, that has completely changed. So we really think about our talent pool as a sales funnel. You know, we, we want to target our ideal candidates um, and once we meet with them, it's it's not we don't take it for granted. It's a full sales presentation on how they can have an impact by working with us. Um, we have to talk about how they are going to benefit by working with us. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it's totally changed uh, over the last decade or so. And and you know, the great companies have been doing this for a long time, but you can no longer just post an ad and and hope that people apply. It's really you have to go and get talent. And you know, we we've had. We've been really lucky. We've had great people join us. You know, we've had people from multi-billion dollar public companies join us because they know that they can, you know, it's a smaller, leaner organization and they can have a huge dent, a uh, huge, huge mark in our company. Um, so we really like to try to play offense with, with talent. Um, you can't sit back and wait for them to come to you because really great, like great talent has options. They have a lot of options. They can work in a lot of places. And we need to figure out, you know, why would they want to work with us? And, and we have to show them that. So it's a completely different process than it was 10 years ago. And uh, it's actually quite fun because we're looking at these, um, you know, we're looking at these as prospects. 
Yeah. So I think another way and, and something that we can sort of discuss right now and another way of, of looking at it is, you know, maybe it's not just a talent shortage. Maybe it's also a mismanagement of talent. Um, maybe we've got some talent that is already in our companies um, doing maybe even some jobs that they've done for a very long time. Um, but we need to look at it at a, it, uh, from a different perspective. Um, you know, what are their talents? What are they good at? And can we take them and put them in a different role within the companies? Because, again, with everything changing, um, the roles are changing. So a lot of people are saying, you know, um, admin jobs are going to go to robots, which is fine. But you can't take creativity and st strategy uh, from robots. Um, and so there's new roles in strategic thinking and creativity that are being, um, you know, taken a look at and started at companies, new roles where you can take some of the talent that you already have, take a look at what they're good at and maybe put them in different roles so that you maximize the capacity of who you have working for you. Yeah, that's a great point because today we have roles that we didn't have even you know, two years ago or five years ago. So the talent requirements are different. But there's also a piece here that I think is important for any business owner. You know, if you look at what's going on in retail and in some case in hospitality, like restaurants, the people that are dying and the people that are hurting are the people that have either poor or mediocre experiences. So, uh, you know, if you walk into a store and you're not sort of wowed, you're, you're, it's a problem, right? And, and because you're used to going into an Apple store or something and it's just amazing. And so if you're, if you're an older company that hasn't changed, you've got challenges. The same with restaurants. You always hear about restaurants closing. Well, it's not, you know, the restaurants that close are usually it's a poor experience or a mediocre experience. And so then you go to your company. If you're just offering a mediocre, bland experience for, uh, for employees or for people, you're going to have problems. You need to be thinking differently and you need to be understanding, like to your point, what do these people need? What do they want? What is their... What is their goal in five years for themselves? How do they see their career? And then, and then ideally, you know, give that to them so that they don't have to look elsewhere and, and move on or, or, you know, move out. Yeah, that's a great point because, again, I don't think a lot of people, um, you know, correlate the talent shortage with maybe the company culture. So maybe, you know, before even hiring more people or talking about even talent shortage, it's not only just taking a look at who you have internally, but it's also about how you provide a culture of uh, so people can thrive um, and people can love what they do and love working for the company. And I, and I think that that is also another huge part of that talent shortage. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the, the thing that we have to be honest about is, you know, if you didn't work here, you know, would you choose to work here again? You know, it's, it's one of those things where we have to be looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, is this is is this really a great place to work or is this just a grind uh, and a paycheck? You know, that that's not the type of atmosphere that you want to you want to create. You want to create something where people are you know, feeling like they have a purpose and they enjoy the people that they work with. Um, it's a, it's a really important piece. Yeah. And it's important to note that with the supply chain professionals that are now coming in the industry, um, 
that's what they're looking for. Um, you know, it's no longer really about the money. It's no longer really about the paycheck. They, because they're going to be spending so much of their time at work, they want to know that it's going to be a place that's going to, you know, um, breathe life into them. That's going to help them thrive um, and sort of give them that bear hug. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, a little later about how you keep your your team engaged, you know, maybe some tips and trips, tricks on that. Um, But it also takes us into another point, you know, talking about the new generation of supply chain professionals, what they're looking for. And another thing that they're looking for as well is work life balance. Um, which is sort of just coming into the industry. I think this is also, you know, a subject that people have very strong feelings about. Um, there's a part of the industry that is like, no, everybody needs to be in the office. How do you create a culture around working remotely? And then there's some that are saying, well, you know, this is where we're moving to. It actually brings down overhead um, because maybe you don't need to have as much of a, as big of a space um, and it allows your teams to thrive because they have that work-life balance. So how do you create that and why is it important? Yeah, so we, we talk about this a lot. You know, we have, um, you know, and I, you know, I'm always, always dangerous about the words coming out incorrectly, but we have a, a majority female workforce, so about 85% female. And, uh, and what that means is there's... Um, just because traditionally the, the, the mother takes care of a lot of the things at home and the children, we are figuring out, trying to figure out how we can be a very supportive workplace around that. And again, I always want to be careful with this because I'm not saying that's the way it should be, but that's just the way it is. So we have a lot of mothers and, um, and, um, and they're, they're, they tend to take, take a lot of the household uh, issues on. So we're trying to figure out, you know, what, what can we do to make sure that they feel safe here, safe at, at um, taking care of things at home and not that they have to, you know, sort of uh, compromise one for the other. And we actually don't, we don't, we really don't talk about balance as much as we do energy though. So because, you know, the word balance is kind of misleading because it means equal. And I actually did a LinkedIn post on this about, all your minutes in a day. And so if you look at it, like you, if you work eight hours a day, uh, you're not actually going to be with your family for eight hours a day because you, you know, that's just not possible. So if you work at eight hours a day, let's say you sleep eight, um, you know, that means that you're going to just sit in front of your family for eight, eight hours a day. That's not actually, or your friends, that actually doesn't happen. So you are spending the majority of your time at the office we don't do anything more than we do than work for the most part. So nothing compares to that, that time you spend at work. So there really isn't a balance of anything else. So we like to think of things as energy. How can we manage people's energy? You know, we, we pay attention to when people are low energy. If they're low energy, is there something going on that we can help with? And also the people. If we have people here that add energy to you and are energetic and are positive then you're going to have a great day at work and you're going to actually then have a great evening at home or whatever you you're doing afterwards. But if you're, if we sit you around a bunch of negative people, pessimistic people, grouchy people, you're going to have low energy and sort of drag your butt out of the office. So we really think about, you know, how can we do more for our people to make sure that they're high energy? 
And then we also are, you know, on the, 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 um, the sort of balanced topic, we do, we do really make sure that people are taking their vacations. Uh, we do a lot of things for family illness and bereavement and parental leave to make sure that they know that, you know, they're not here to just grind it out and then retire. It's like it should be a, a fulfilling part of your life and it should be energy. Uh, you know, there should be some good energy there. Yeah, and I think we need to throw in gossip um, because I think our industry, I don't know about any other industry, but there, you know, gossip is very prominent in this industry and it negatively impacts the culture and the team. So you want to be able to mitigate that as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. And, and in our industry, we have, we have this scenario where, you know, a lot of our customers' products are, it's time sensitive, it could be perishable. Uh, so there's a lot of, there can be a lot of pressure here and there can be, you can deal with some customers that aren't very, that in some cases aren't very friendly. So we really, we really look at our customers as, as uh, employees in a sense where we go, do they share our values? And if they don't, we let them go. You know, we're not afraid to let a customer go if they just don't fit. If they don't, we know right away if a customer is, you know, angry and swearing and yelling at us, um, that's not how we would operate inside of our company. So we'll take a look at it and go, you know, is this person having a bad day is it, is it, or is this, is this a habit of theirs? Uh, and is it a trend? Then we, we, act, we actually ask them to look for another service provider because we don't want to subject our people to that type of behavior. And so it's, it's, it's an important piece looking around and what, what other, you know, inputs are our people getting from, you know, the industry, from customers, from carriers, whatever it is. And also we've got to make sure we live our values and, and make sure we're living those to our customers and carriers as well. Yeah, I like that. That's a good point. And it also brings us to, you know, when you and I were looking to put this episode together, we talked a lot about mental health um, and how you also put a lot of emphasis on mental health. And that that comes and sort of ties into what we're talking about right now. So give us a little bit of insight on that. Yeah, we, you know, we there's this there's this piece about sort of bringing your whole self to work. You know, there's a lot of people that say, well, I, you know, when I'm in work, I'm in work mode. And then, um, when I'm, when I leave, I can take on all my challenges that I have at home. And, and, you know, there's people that believe that, but I don't believe that. So in our company, we don't, we don't believe that. So we, we believe that if, you know, if you had a, 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 it doesn't matter if it was your dog that passed away or you have an aging parent, you know, you carry that with you. You can't just turn that off. I, I, my mom passed away in 2007 and I still have problems, uh, you know, sort of mentally around the time of her death. Um, I just, it's, it's this thing in the calendar. It's this yearly thing that happens. It's, she passed away about a month after Mother's Day. And so I've got this sort of thing where I get in, I'm in a bad mood. And so I talk about it a bit and I want people to feel safe here to, you know, everyone's had challenges. Everyone has their issues in life. No one's had it easy. Um, and, and so we want to make sure that, Hey, how can we help? If, if you need a break, let's get you a break. If you need some support, can we get you some counseling? I'm a big believer in counseling. And if you just have to shut that off at eight o'clock and then try to, you know, pretend that it doesn't exist from eight to four thirty, and then go home. It, I don't know anyone that can actually do that for real. They might say that they can turn it off, but you, you are carrying it. So we just want to make sure it's safe to talk about here. And not, not this forbidden thing that you can't talk about, you know, as though it's a weakness. It's actually a very a strength to talk about it because it means you can, you know, you can get help and, and get stronger. 
Yeah, and then sort of on that topic, though, you know, if you you do give a lot to your employees, and I want to congratulate you on that because I think that it's really, really important, and I think that you know, even talking about it right now and with the listeners, you're you're probably inspiring a lot of people within the industry. So, thank you for that, and I'm sure your employees want to say that to you as well. But you know, when you give so much to your employees as well, you know, and I know some people in this industry have, have seen this before, what happens when they want more? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> what, what I was, what you just made me think of is, you know, I'm going to talk about this and maybe, I don't know if it's offside or not, but when my, when my mom passed away, I took, I must have taken almost a month off of work. You know, my, my mom and dad founded our company and I worked with her every day. So I, I almost took, you know, a month off just to just to grieve and, and, and deal with it. And what happened um, a few years later, a number of years later, was I was actually talking to one of my employees. We were in a car and I remember it like it was yesterday. And she told me about her mom passing away. And. And I was like, and she said, you know, she said something like, you know, I'm just, it happened around Christmas time. So I was able to take some holidays to deal with it. And my heart sank. Like I actually felt uh, like emotional. I just felt like, oh, I felt like I was, I totally missed this. And so I know other people have had, you know, people um, have family members pass away. And it was just this sort of smack in the face that, oh my gosh, I took a bunch of time off. And then this person's telling me that they're lucky that it happened around Christmas because they, they had some holidays. And so that was just like, again, a smack in the face. So we totally changed. Now we give, you know, we give 20 days of paid leave now for uh, an immediate family member passing and 10 days for an extended family member, just because we know that you can't, you don't get over this in two days or three days over a weekend. And we don't want you thinking about work. Like work doesn't really matter when it comes to these things. These, these are the important things. And we give, you know, we do give, uh, you know, parental leave. We pay, we, we top up and pay, pay our people for parental leave and some family sick time, you know, and this has come from our people are telling us, you know, listening to them, figure out what they're going through and trying to become a better, you know, better company and, and better sort of partner in life, if you will, to make sure they feel supported and not, oh, I got to get back to work or I'll get fired or something, you know, meanwhile, their, their father's passed away. We really want them to take that time. I know I needed it. That's why I went with 20 days. That's that's a month off. And I, I think that's, um, you know, something that we're really proud of. Yeah, and I'm sure that, um, you know, you get more productive or productivity also, you know, by giving that time and that space for your employees and your team to really, you know, be able to go through the process that they need to to go through in that type of instance. So that is, that is awesome. You know, kudos to you. So, and I'm sure that, you know, a lot of us can really, really learn from that. So let's go back to, you know, your team working remotely. I know that you have a mix of people in the office and a mix of your team members working remotely. So what are the pros and cons of having your team work remotely? Yeah, this is a big topic right now for us, um, you know, especially because you talk about the talent shortage and, and things like that. Um, and we have seen all angles of this because we have some remote uh, workers. And so we have, 
you know, if we go to the pros and cons, you know, the, the pros are that you can retain great people. So we, you know, we've had people, you know, they're married to police officers and they get transferred to some other city in the country. Um, and it's either, you know, lose that talent or set them up remotely. Um, and most of our, most of our remote, remote people so far have, have, um, the reason that they're remote is because they have moved out of town for various reasons. So that's this, that's the, the foundation of our remote strategy, if you will. But we're now looking at what should our actual strategy be? Because these are not, you know, we, it's not like we've hired for remote positions. We just happen to have a number of people that are remote because of their own situation. So uh, the pros and cons, you know, I think one of the things that we really look at is with, with our strategic planning and with our, with our system that we use for managing people, we really look at, we do look at some KPIs and some metrics because it shouldn't matter if you're, you know, in your office, in our office, in a Starbucks or at your house. If we have numbers and, and, and goals that we need to hit and you're hitting that, then I'm, my question is, you know, why do we care where you work? Uh, you know, where you're physically located. Um, the challenge is, is that you've seen a lot, you've seen these things from, I don't know if you remember Yahoo, sort of they killed their whole remote uh, working program because they had culture issues. So that's the, that's, the, that's the con, if you will, is that we have remote people that I haven't seen in probably, some of them I probably haven't seen in six years. And, um, and not even, a couple of them, not even on a video conference. They call in, but we don't see them on video all the time. So um, there's a, there, but a lot of them we see, you know, their faces on, on video conferences. So that's the piece that, that is challenging is how do you keep the culture going? How do you keep them engaged uh, and not feeling like they're on an island? But I think it's, I think it's the future. You have to be thinking about remote workers because I like working remote. You know, I, I, I like being in different places. It makes me think differently and gives me different ideas. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of potential for this. Yeah, and they don't have to be remote all the time. Um, you know, you can encourage them to come in for, you know, meetings. Like it's really just a matter of having that conversation and make sure making sure that it works for both parties. I mean, that culture aspect is a little bit of a challenge, but if they can come in every once in a while or um, and you include them in some of the team building things that you do and stuff like that, I mean, you know, that's, that's another way. Plus technology is, you know, obviously changing everything that we do. And, you know, we're going to be having meetings in VR soon. And VR means that you're present, but remote. And so you will be able to see them. And that's really going to help build culture um, from a remote standpoint, I think, anyways. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the video, you know, you remember video even five years ago, it was brutal. It was it was like this this thing like, like, let's just not do this because the lines were dropping and the internet speeds weren't fast enough everywhere. But that's all changing. And uh, we do video conferences a lot now with customers and, and potential customers and it's, it's just an expectation almost now that no one, you know, no one really wants to fly somewhere when they can do it. You know, they can have a meeting over, over, uh, you know, Zoom or WebEx or Skype or whatever it might be. Absolutely. All right. So we're winding this down. One last question for you. So whether they work remotely or whether they work in the office, how do you keep your team engaged? Yeah, and actually, I think you, you kind of hit on it, but I, we really go back to that energy piece. And it, 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 it might sound, you know, sort of fairy tale, but we really, 
look at it like if we bring a new person on and they are sitting with people that they can get energy from and give energy to, then engagement is high automatically. They just they go, these are my people. I love it here. Uh, we can we feel like we can set goals and accomplish anything. On the flip side, if you sit that person, doesn't matter how good that person is. I think they say like negative energy is like a like a force multiplier. So if you have a room full of 30 people, but you have two negative people, the whole room will fit, will feel those two negative people. So if we sit that great, happy, energetic, positive person next to someone who's negative, grouchy, uh, gossipy, it drains their energy and they just want to go home. It's, you know, it's brutal. And, and I find myself more and more as we, uh, we continue to bring on great people, the energy and the excitement that you get from them is what keeps you engaged. And then what happens is if there's someone that isn't, you know, is, is negative, you, you may think they're a great person overall, but you just want to avoid them. You know, you don't want to look them in the eye. You want to move around them. So that's really how we look at, at, um, at energy and keeping people engaged. You know, you have a meeting, someone walks in, they add energy to it. Someone, someone walks in and they drain the energy. We want to make sure we're really, really focused on that because uh, that's what gets in the way of accomplishing goals is people that just are like anchors. So, yeah, that's how we really look at engagement is making sure that we try to keep the energy high. And what do you do as far as team building? Because I know you do a lot of team building. And I think that, you know, it lo- some companies look at it as a cost center. Um, but I believe that it's an investment, not only in your company, but in your people. Um, and it's important as we move forward, again, with the next generation coming into this industry and, you know, looking at things a lot differently, we need to start taking a look at things differently and taking it into our own hands and, and making those investments in people. Right. And, and that, this is uh, interesting timing because tonight we actually have a big team builder with our, our company here where we, you know, what we do is we look for their, we want to hear from our people because, you know, what, what team building used to look like is sort of a, uh, you know, a banquet room with, you know, round tables and someone at a podium and, you know, roast beef and potatoes. And it's just like, you know, like younger people, uh, you know, they don't want that. That's not how they think and how, how they, how they enjoy, you know, spending time together. So we're really asking them, you know, what do you, what, what would be fun for you? And then we build our programs around that. So tonight is just a, a simple, you know, let's have some beers and get together and uh, talk, you know, talk about the quarter uh, and, and, this one happens to just, let's just make it relaxed because it's summer and everyone's just wants to be on a patio somewhere. So we, we just take their input and, and try to build things around that. And then we do some bigger events that are, that are more, you know, engaged, like, like working with teams and doing some team events, but it's also something that we continually try to improve on. We're not the best at it right now, but we continue to figure out what our people want and, and give it to them. I think that's great. One point that I do want to sort of ask you on, and, you know, people are going to roll their eyes at this, but, you know, especially when there's alcohol involved, there's a lot of liability on companies um, if something were to happen. How do you mitigate that? Because I know that that's a big question for companies. You know, you want to do team building. Um, You know, people like to drink during team building, but... You know, the company, if especially if it's a private company, owners can lose everything if something were to happen. Um, and so, you know, if if you do a team building and there is no alcohol, people complain. So, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah, it is it is a topic of conversation for sure. And and 
you know, we, we look at it a couple of ways where, you know, we, we believe our people are responsible and they're, they're smart. Um, at the same time, alcohol doesn't make you any smarter normally. <laughs> um, so, you know, we really look at it like, you know, tonight, for example, we will pay for taxis. Uh, we'll offer hotels if they need it. Um, but we also, this is not, this is not like a year end shaker event. This, this is a summer social where you probably have a couple of drinks, have some hors d'oeuvres, and then you'll, you'll continue on with your night. So, but we, we will have someone that is designated our EA for our, our executive team, uh, will basically stay there till the bitter end to make sure that everyone gets home safely. And she's tough enough to make sure no one tries to drive, uh, <laughs> over her dead body, so to speak. So we, we really watch out for that. But you're right. It is a liability that you hear about. I've heard companies that they have their parties and they don't they don't serve alcohol anymore. And, you know, we we, we could maybe get in trouble one day for that. But we're, we look at it like, you know, we want to ha- want them to have fun. We, we want to, you know, have them take their own responsibility for things, but then provide a safe environment by providing ways to get home uh, and staying overnight and uh, and then have someone there to the sort of bitter end to make sure no one uh, slips through the cracks. Yeah, those are some really good tips and tricks on that. So there you have it. Take a look at your teams, assess talent, and make sure they are where they can make the most impact to your business. And don't be afraid to build your team remotely. It will make a huge impact on your bottom line, create happier and healthier teams, and, you know, Really, that's the way of the future. So thank you, Graham, for another amazing discussion. We seem to be creating waves with these episodes because people are sharing and commenting even before they listen to the episode. So make sure to go and check out Border Buddy. That's borderbuddy.com. So once again, Graham, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. If you liked this episode, go and check out some of my other conversations with Graham about autonomous vehicles, that's season two dash episode 17, and how to win a trade war, and that's season two, episode 23. Next week, Woman in Supply Chain is back for part 10, and I have Irina Roska coming to join me on the show and you are going to want to tune into this one. Her journey to success is a crazy one, so make sure that you tune in. Help and support the show. Here are a few ways to do that. Go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop and get my 107-page supply chain dictionary. Every acronym, every supply chain definition you can imagine is in there. Get one for yourself, a colleague, a client, or even a student. Secondly, go to ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z.com, and sign up. You will be one of the first people to know once we are about to announce what we have been working on. And then there's Listener's Corner. You heard it in this episode. Send me your supply chain questions, and the experts weigh in. They weigh in on social media. They email me their answers, but I am getting those answers for you. So send it to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. Send me all your questions. And lastly, rate and review the show. Please, please, please take a little bit of time, and I would appreciate that time, to rate and review the show so other people can find it and learn from the companies and the innovators and the supply chain professionals, the women in supply chain, so that they can learn from them. So um, 
Remember everybody, you know, I hope you have a great day wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for all of your support. And remember everybody, ship happens. Happens.